of you that don't know, or maybe you're, you're kind of new to this whole United Methodist movement, and you're not really familiar with what our origin story is, our denomination traces its roots all the way back to a college student named John Wesley, way back in 1729. And I love the origin story of our denomination. And here's why. You know how it started? It started as a holy club. That's what they called it when they would meet on the campus of Oxford College in England. Wesley uh, had his brother and a few of his friends, and they would gather every morning in the wee hours of the morning for their holy club to meet. And whenever they would meet, they would ask themselves, they would go around in a circle and ask themselves the same 22 questions every day. And if you've never heard of this, you should totally Google it when you get home, because we're going to talk about a few of them. But I want you to see the list of the questions of spiritual formation, really is what they were, that these college students would ask themselves every single morning before the sun came up. Sometimes it was in a dorm room, sometimes it was in a library, sometimes it was in a lawn on campus, but they always met and they always asked themselves these questions. And I love the questions because they fall on kind of a broad range of style with with what what they're asking. Some of them were like really specific, like almost weirdly specific. And maybe I just find that funny because I imagine me and a couple of my friends sitting in a circle asking ourselves the same questions every single morning. Because to me, it seems like with some of these, they probably had somebody specific in mind when they wrote them down that we need to ask this question every single day, right? Like you, like one of them is, do I get to bed on time and get up early? Okay, that seems like it is addressed to a very specific person that is sitting in the room? Do I pray about the money that I spend? Okay, there's the impulsive spender. That's like, do you, you see what I'm saying? Like some of these questions are just so targeted. It seems like at one person, am I proud is one of them. Okay, well, that's the person that thinks they look really good no matter what they're wearing. Do I confidently pass on to another what was told to me in confidence? That's the gossiper in the circle. But then some of these questions are so deep. I mean, really, really deep. Like, I think they would be a really difficult question to answer honestly. When, did the, when was the last time I spoke to someone about my faith? That was the question, one of the questions they would ask themselves every single morning. Did the Bible live in me today? That's a tough question to answer every single morning. Can I be trusted was a question they would ask. Is Christ real to me? You see what I mean? Some of them feel almost surface level spiritual practice. Are we doing the right things? But then some of them, oh my gosh, they are some questions that would force someone to really look inwardly, not just at what they are projecting to the world, but how they are living and are they really being transformed by this walk of faith? I really think that the heart of these questions is this. Is the inside matching the outside? And I think that's the question that we see in our scripture for this morning as well. We're in the Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 23. And we're going to read verses 27 and 28. Let's read it together. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! 
You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. I'll be honest with you for a second. We just finished up a series in here last week. The week after next, we're going to start another series. So I got two weeks of standalone sermons, and I wanted to preach on something a little bit weird this week. So I picked this scripture. It's not preached on very often because who wants to show up to church and hear a sermon about the bones of the dead? But here we are. I got you trapped in here unless you decide to get up and leave. But I really do think that this passage has some fruit for us this morning. But I think for us to get there, we need to dig into the context just a little bit. And we need to know what in the world whitewashed tombs were. At the beginning of this chapter of Scripture, Matthew 23, we learn that Jesus is speaking to his disciples, to the crowds that have gathered around him, and to the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious Leaders, If you were to open up those Bibles in front of you and flip to Matthew 23, you would see that the whole chapter is woes from Jesus. Woe unto you. And we see here in this section, it is woe unto you, Pharisees and scribes. In particular, Jesus calls these people whitewashed tombs. What in the world does that mean? Well, Jesus is speaking in in chapter 23 just before the Jewish Passover festival when travelers all over Israel would make their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast in the holy city. And because of these travelers, the, the tombs and the graves along the roadways leading into town would often be coated in this white chalky substance that they called a whitewash. And there were two reasons that they did this, especially around this season, this this time of year. The first was to try and make sure that none of the travelers inadvertently came into contact with a tomb on their way into Jerusalem for the sake of ritual purity, right? Something that is very common in in Judaism. All of these travelers were making their way into Jerusalem to celebrate a holy festival. And in order to fully participate in what they were going to be a part of, they had to be what? They had to be ritually clean. So if they inadvertently touched a tomb on their way into town, it would have a pretty massive effect on what they were able to do and where they were able to go in the temple once they finally made it to Jerusalem for the Passover feast because they would have been ritually unclean. So to prevent this, they covered the tombs in this whitewash that kind of glistened in the sun so that you knew exactly where to avoid when you were making your way into town which I think makes a ton of sense, right? It's a very functional reason to be doing this. The other reason is something that we still do today. We decorate the graves of loved ones with with flowers and, and all sorts of stuff, especially around big moments, right? Especially around holidays and birthdays and things like that. So like us, the folks whose loved ones had gone on, they wanted to, to celebrate their loved ones leading up to the Passover 
festival and, and beautify where they were lied to rest. And so they would coat it in a whitewash so that it would glisten in the sun. I feel like you really needed to know what Jesus is talking about here because I think it's important to note that Jesus is not condemning the practice of whitewashing. It's a very functional thing that made a ton of sense in that context. But he is calling the Pharisees and scribes a whitewashed tomb, which doesn't appear to be a compliment. So what does that mean when we combine those two things? What does it mean that Jesus is calling this group of people a whitewashed tomb? I want you to hear it one more time, what Jesus says here. You are like whitewashed tombs. You should understand it a little bit better now that you know what that is. Which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, you, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous. But on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus is being everything but subtle here, isn't he? Which is, a, which is a common theme that we see in the Gospel of Matthew. We're kind of late in the Gospel. Jesus has made his turn towards Jerusalem where he's getting closer and closer to the cross. And as he does, his teachings, friends, get more and more blunt and direct. And these woes in chapter 23, especially what we just read this morning, they really don't hold anything back. I mean, there's really no room for interpretation here, right? We know exactly what Jesus is trying to say. Because you see, on the outside, it looked like the Pharisees were doing everything right. They knew every law. They followed every law. They were ritually clean. They knew the scriptures. They could jump through all of the hoops. So if they looked like they were doing everything right, then then what are the religious leaders doing wrong? And according to Jesus, he says that they were filled with pride and they were filled with hypocrisy. It seems like they did acts of piety in order to be noticed by others. But more than anything else, I think it seems like they demanded that other people practice one thing while they seem to live by a different standard. I taught a lesson on authenticity in college when I was doing youth ministry, and we filmed a video to try and illustrate that concept, right, of actually being authentic. So we took two of the exact same blenders. This is classic youth ministry stuff here. Two of the exact same blenders. And in one, I put spoiled milk and dirt and sardines and raw steak and really like anything that I could think of that a middle schooler would see on video and gasp and scream and think it was disgusting, right? Raw fish, all that stuff. Put all of that in a blender. Everything disgusting that you can cram into a cheap Walmart blender. And then in the other one, I put chocolate chips and sweetened milk and peppermint and candy canes and cookies and brownies and ice cream and et cetera, like just a sugar load galore in the other blender. And we blended both of them up at the same time on camera. And you know what? They looked exactly the same. But what was on the inside was completely different. I told you classic youth ministry stuff here, but I think this is what Jesus is saying. Now, don't get me wrong. If you did some investigating, you could tell the difference. Like if we had done that in the room, the smell would have given it away because we couldn't, we couldn't stand it for much longer. And we actually just threw away the blender that we put all the nasty stuff in because it was, it was irrecoverable and nobody wanted, nobody wanted to take it home. 
I don't know. I mean, Jesus even said that the Pharisees were right. He said what the Pharisees tell you is right. He says this earlier on in chapter 23. This is what he says. The scribes and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and follow it. But do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. Do what they say, but don't dare follow the example that they have set by the way that they live their lives. I think what this chapter and specifically this moment here with Jesus forces us to realize is that we serve a God who is deeply concerned with what is going on in the inside of us with what the condition of our heart is, with how our soul is doing. Don't get me wrong, the outside is important too. Jesus says, do what they tell you and follow it. They're telling you to do the right things, but don't let your insides begin to look like theirs. Take care of your heart. Pay attention to your soul. Be sure that you're doing what you're doing for the right reasons and with purity because you want to be transformed instead of just going through the motions. Here's the problem between how we look at things and how Jesus looks at things. And I think this might maybe why we fall into, into this trap. Jesus really didn't care about people's status in society, right? He didn't care if you were a tax collector or a prostitute. I mean, we can tell that by who he ate with and who he invited to follow him. It seems like he always saw more in someone than they were able to see in themselves. Specifically what someone else could see in them by only looking at the outside, that exterior shell. To me, it seems like that's a thread that runs through Jesus's entire ministry. He makes this same point in a number of ways, and one in particular kind of jumped out to me this week in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 15, again, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were concerned with Jesus and his followers because they hadn't washed their hands in a ritually appropriate manner before eating. And this is what Jesus tells his disciples after that moment with the Pharisees. Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a purpose, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. And then he goes on to say this, do not what you do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes into the sewer, but whatever comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart comes evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. I think we're guilty of this. I mean, how often do we do that? Kind of exactly what Jesus is talking about here. We go to the right meetings. Our kids go to the right schools. We do everything right. We follow every rule that we possibly can. We say the right things. We do all the right things. We drive the right car. We live in the right house. We follow all of these societal rules, right, so that we can make sure that our outsides look the way that we want them to look. But when we do all of those hands, I think sometimes if we're honest with, when we do all those things, sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we're really just washing our hands, and don't get me wrong, it's, it's not bad to wash your hands, but I think it's important to call it what it is when we're just jumping through those hoops. Because washing our hands isn't sharing our faith with your family or isn't sharing your faith with people that you encounter throughout the day. It isn't necessarily following God's call upon your life. 
And it isn't always allowing God to transform your life. What good does it do then to eat with properly washed hands when our hearts are not being transformed? How can painting whitewash on the outside of a tomb do anything to change what is inside? How can doing the right things matter if we are like the Pharisees and the outside doesn't actually match the inside? Something that I've realized this week is that I feel like I just I might be a recovering Pharisee. I don't know, that term popped into my head this week. And I think if you're honest with yourself, maybe, maybe you are too. And, and here's, here's why I say that. I grew up in the church. I studied religion and Christianity in college. I went to seminary. I certainly know how to look like a Christian. I'm a paid Christian for crying out loud, right? I know the answer to a lot of questions about God. I know how to preach the good news. I think semi-okay most weeks. But I have to constantly ask myself, and I, am I allowing my inside to be truly transformed by this work that I do? Or is all of this just a whitewash? My hunch is that those of you who have been around the church for a while is that you might be a lot like me, maybe more like me than you think. You know what to say. You know what you're called to do as Christians. You know how to talk the talk and walk the walk, right? Most days. You know how to look Christian. But actually doing those things in a way that leads to transformation? I think if we're honest with ourselves, that's a completely different story. The Greek word for hypocrite that Jesus uses in this scripture, the direct translation of it is an actor on stage, which I think poses a really challenging question for us to wrestle with this week. Are you acting your faith out or does it actually permeate through your entire life? Is it just something that you're doing with no real depth or is it a part of who you are, something that is changing you and molding you and growing you each and every day? Are you just a whitewashed tomb filled with unclean things or is Jesus transforming what actually lies inside of you? The more time I spent with this scripture this week in this moment, the more I think I've grown to believe that, that this indictment of the Pharisees that we see Jesus giving in this moment is not a chance for us to wag our fingers at the Pharisees and the scribes. I think instead it is an invitation for us to engage in some self-examination and my hunch is maybe some repentance on our own end. The very first question that Wesley and his friends would ask themselves every single morning was this. Am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than I really am? In other words, am I a hypocrite? That was the question that they would start with each and every morning, the very first one that they would ask. And what I realized this week is that the reason it has to be the very first question is because your answer to that will set the tone for how you're going to answer everything else. If your answer to that question is yes, then you don't even need to bother with the rest of the 21 because you have enough work to do with that one question than you need to do with all the rest. 
Are you consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that you are better than you really are? In other words, are you a hypocrite? In other words, are you just acting this whole thing out on a stage, but nothing is actually permeating to your heart? In other words, are you just a whitewashed tomb that's washed with white and glistening in the sun on the outside, but really filled with unclean things? I think the good news for us this morning is that God loves and accepts you for you. For exactly how you are, deep down in your soul. Deep down in the parts of yourself that you do your best to try and let nobody else see. God can see that, and he loves you despite it. Because you've heard it said before, if you grew up in the church, you were told this as a child. But y'all, it is true, and I still believe it. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And despite that, God still loves you. Not because you deserve it, not because your whitewash is bright enough, not because you do the right things, not because of how everything appears to everybody else on the outside, or because your hands are clean, but because God's grace is so radical and so overwhelming. It is a love that is given to us really despite ourselves. And it is something that I am reminded of each and every week in here when we come to this table. Because I say it every time that we're getting ready for this meal. It really doesn't matter what your week has looked like up to this point, but you can count on one thing every single week. When we come to the table, you know that you have a seat. And friends, that is only because of the grace of God. My prayer for us, my prayer for me, my my prayer for you, my prayer for us this week is that we might, I don't know, maybe look up those 22 questions and, and take them for a ride and just see what happens. That we might willingly enter into some time of self examination a couple of times this week with the goal of being someone who is allowing Christ to transform, to grow, to nourish so that maybe we can be a part of sharing that love that we receive in such abundance with those who are around us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in The Gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.